Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Portland School District Podcast. Uh, this is the second one of this new year, and uh, with us uh, are uh, ABLE leader, uh, Dr. Charles Britton, our superintendent of schools, and our very, very special guest from the Chatham Health District, who's uh, a little bit uh, tired today from the COVID clinic last night, uh, Russ Melmet from the Chatham Health District. So uh, welcome, guys. Thanks for coming on. And uh, Russ, I know... Uh, <laughs> You've been running around like you're chicken with a head cut off here for kind of for the last uh, running these things. So, but anyway, yeah, we, it's it's it's, uh, it's intense. Let's just say that it's so, an intense experience. All right, Charles, what do we got for the the our second podcast for this year and uh, where we are? I think we're back hybrid, so uh, lay it on us. Yeah, well, we um, we reopened this week uh, fully uh, uh, pre K through six. And we're in the hybrid now, grades 7 through 12. Um, so uh, the good news is that uh, we were able to generate the pool of substitute teachers that, that we needed. You know, um, the last time we got, you know, really, as everybody knows, knocked right on our butt. Uh, right. As a function of the, the large numbers of um, adults who were subject to these quarantine periods. Mm -hmm. And um, we needed to hit pause so that... You know, we could generate a, a, a new pool of subs that was made available by two things. One, um, Governor Lamont's order that waived the requirement that substitute teachers have to hold a bachelor's degree. And two, an incredible um, outpouring of community members saying, hey, I'm willing to help. You know, I, I can step forward. And a lot of these individuals, it works out really nicely, are current college students who, who haven't gotten their bachelor's degree yet, but are studying to be teachers. So what, what a wonderful opportunity for them to prepare for their career and sure. make a couple bucks on the side while taking most of their classes because lots of universities are still online. Sure, just like student teaching. Just like student <laughs> teaching, right? It's a built-in internship for them, right? Exactly. Um, so because of that um, change in, in the requirement and the remarkable outpouring. We now have an additional 15 to 20 individuals who are on call, and we already need them. You know, the, um, this week we, we have had two instances where COVID-positive individuals entered the school and currently have um, students and members of our faculty who are subject to a 10-day, and Russ can talk you about how that changed, quarantine period. But now we have people to call to come in and, and, and help staff the buildings. Fill while, the ranks. Fill the ranks, right? Um, so it, it's going well. Um, it, you know, the, the numbers are still high. There's still a lot of virus in the community, but we're, we're prepared now to, to take on those quarantine periods when they come. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're going to try. We're going we're gonna to do everything we can to continue to maintain the in-person learning while staffing the buildings. Um, a decision about a, a return to full in-person at the middle school and high school is still pending, right? Um, what makes the middle school and high school different is that we're not able to cohort as, as well. And um, therefore, you know, one student has the potential, if they are either asymptomatic or presymptomatic, of causing quarantines for larger numbers of students and faculty. Um, so we're going to have to see how this plays out a little bit. And, you know, I think, Russ, maybe if he could give us now an update on, on transmission rates in the community. And I hope what we're seeing is we're 
either at the peak and now on the downturn of the the um, the curve. Uh, that that's what we need in order to you know, really move back to as close to normal as we can get. Sure. You know, I think one of the big things now that uh, the the vaccine is on the, on the scene that's going to help tremendously. You know, as far as that goes, not only medically, but I think um, it, it's going to be. Uh, do things uh, mentally for for, sure. for a lot of our uh, residents and so forth. So I don't know, uh, Russ, uh, Russ, you want to jump in? And I know you you, you had a very very successful uh, vaccine clinic last night. So uh, it's all you. Sure. Um, so I guess uh, to borrow a football uh, metaphor, the best some people say that the best defense is a good offense, and I think that's probably true with regards to the vaccine. You know that's. That's on the scene now, and we get to play a little bit of offense now. Um, and last night we held our first uh, mass vaccination clinic um, at the Portland Middle School High School Complex. And I think from by any measure, it was a tremendous success. In about five hours, we administered 200 doses of the Moderna vaccine. Um, the vast majority of the people who came to the clinic were our oldest and most frail residents. So that was really the goal here. Um, the state shifted gears on us abruptly uh, last week. Um, we were sort of moving in the direction of vaccinating frontline essential workers, um, teachers, people in transportation, and, and they shifted a little bit and said, no, none of those groups now. We're focusing on people 75 plus. So uh, we did that. We uh, just Thank you to Charles uh, for the use of the building and your staff. You know, the only way we succeed in doing anything like we, what we did last night was with good planning, good partners, good good staff, good volunteers. And sort of all came together uh, very, very well last night. We just had, you know, overwhelming uh, attendance, and uh, we got a lot of good positive feedback on how things ran. Um, so it was it was really great. Uh, I don't know how many you know how many more fifteen hour days I can I can handle. You know, can we do this for the next twelve months? I think we'll start planning more clinics during daytime hours, weekend daytime hours, and things like that, um, so that it's just a little bit easier on everybody. But uh, it was it really was great. It was really great to like I said play a little offense in this pandemic. I think you're just going to have to schedule an afternoon nap, Russ. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's uh, it's got to be built in for sure. Uh, maybe we need a, a a nap room, you know, a, a soundproof chamber. Charles, you have one of those? In yeah, we do. Building yeah. Yep. Like a, a, a sensory deprivation chamber yeah. where we can send our volunteers to take a little break and get away from the mayhem. For sure. Uh, be great. Um, so, you know, in terms of where we are with the pandemic, um, besides being able to play offense with, with vaccine, it, it – we're in a pretty bad place, but as Charles mentioned, he's hoping that maybe we're at a peak. It, it seems like perhaps we're there. It would be in keeping with all the models that were projecting a peak during this second wave around this time, mid-January. Um, so we really did see a pretty big surge following Christmas, and that was not inevitable, but certainly expected. And in, you know, in Portland, we're at the, the case rate is 62 cases per 100,000, um, which is a little bit down from where it was this time last week. Um, so it does seem to be peaking. It's a little bit too early to say for sure. I mean, we've seen um, 
bumps in the curve, and then we've seen surges come after the bumps. But those surges after um, the little dips happen after, you know, around the holidays. So we had a holiday where a lot of people were not getting tested. We saw those dips, and then after the holiday, saw a surge. We saw that happen after Thanksgiving. We saw it happen after Christmas and New Year's. And so I'm hoping that the dip we're seeing now is not a dip because people aren't getting tested, but it's really a, a flattening of the curve and a little bit of a dip because we're peaking. But there's still a lot of COVID-19 out there. So um, we really, really, the peak doesn't is not a good thing. It's it's We're in a bad place. So people really need to continue doing all the things that we're recommending, you know, social distancing, wearing masks, getting tested. Uh, if you feel even mildly ill, staying home, um, don't go to work, don't go to school. Uh, we really need to do all these things. And um, if there's if there's a you know a cloud on the horizon, it's this new variant that started circulating um, in Connecticut and elsewhere in the United States. What people are calling the UK variant, um, but what is technically called the B117 strain of the virus. And unfortunately for us, it's about twice as transmissible, which means it just binds better for whatever reason um, to our cells. So given the same. Uh, it, takes a, it takes a lower infectious dose to get somebody sick, which is unfortunate because when something is twice as transmissible, we would expect to see twice as many cases and twice as many hospitalizations and ultimately you know, more fatalities. So what that means is we really have to adhere to all these things we've been doing um, even more strictly. Wear a mask. Don't take it off. Don't be casual around your, your friends and family. Um, those small social gatherings is where we're seeing transmission. Please, you know, Avoid those things until we can get past this peak, until we can get more people vaccinated. Uh, we could probably have a pretty nice late spring and summer uh, if we do all those things. Um, but this new variant really is its expected to be the predominant variant circulating uh, in the United States and probably in Connecticut by the end of March. Mm. So that's sort of the, the cloud on the horizon. But uh, it doesn't mean that we can't continue to see gains um, in reducing transmission rates. We just need to keep doing the things we've been doing. Sure. And then we'll get there and get, get your vaccine when you're eligible. Right, right. Now, I know we, we did a, uh, a testing clinic down at the uh, Library Senior Center on Wednesday. Now, is, is the testing uh, able to discern the, the new strains at all? Yes, that's what we understand is that the testing, is, is that the, the genetic marker that the test, the PCR test in particular, look for, do still pick up that, the new strains. So that's the good news. Um, the, the the testing will work. It's, it looks like the vaccines will work against those new the new strains that are circulating. So all good news. Um, and you know we have testing capacity. That that testing clinic was scheduled to to take between two and three hundred people in Portland, and I think we only tested about fifty. So um, that may be just because the the CHC main drive-through clinic is right across the river from Portland, and sure. I think people are starting to understand in town where they can go at any time, and it is literally right across the river. So we didn't get a lot of people tested. So, you know, there's excess testing capacity. That's great. So don't hesitate. You can get a test. When you want a test, you can get a test. And if you're a little bit sick, somebody in your family's not feeling well, there's no reason not to get tested. There's a lot of convenient places to go. Um, CHC runs their clinics in, in, uh, in Middletown at 19 Grand Street from 830 to 4 o'clock every day of the week, mm-hmm. Monday through Sunday. Right. So need to get tested, you can get tested. Well, it worked out well because you know I went down and helped up uh, set up for the uh, the clinic, and I felt bad. So I got tested again. So uh, it worked out very very well. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, if I could just Why not? add yeah. in to Russ, me, uh, what what in terms of this new new variant and the old variant, I, 
I think, and, and Russ, correct me if I'm wrong, that in terms of the the old variant, the, the, the non-mutant one, um, we still aren't seeing um, widespread transmission in, in schools. Right? That, that the, the mitigation strategies against the old variant with what we've done in, with cohorting and um, social distancing and, and mask wearing and, and cleaning and all of the, my goodness, thing, things we've done, that, that that's, it, it is still the case, and, and Russ can chime in, that uh, statewide and in Portland, we haven't seen outbreaks in schools, you know, tr- transmission in the classroom, which, which is a good thing. Yeah. It, it does, of course, though, with this new variant, which is more transmissible, put us on even greater defense. Right? I, li- I like the, the offense-defense analogy, but it, it means that we, we have to continue to be really careful double down on those strategies and pay attention to Russ and the State Department of Public Health's ongoing research and monitoring epidemiologically, I was pronounced that right, epidemiologically, of whether it's trans, being transmitted in schools. Because if that starts to happen, that could could cause us to change course here. Russ, did I, did I say that correctly? Yes, that- yes. Uh, you're, you're right. We, we're not seeing a lot of transmission in schools. Um, so when a person comes into a school and ultimately <clears throat> we identify them as uh, being infected and infectious with COVID-19, we really rarely see transmission from that person to another person in the school. When we have seen it, um, it's been rare. It's been to one person. So, you know, one person to another person, not one student or one teacher and a big cluster of six or seven people in the same classroom get sick. We really have not seen that. When we've seen transmission, it's been one person to one other person. I don't want to say that that's okay, but it is limited. You know, it really is. Um, when you look at where transmission's happening, uh, schools seem to not be those places because everybody is staying in their place, trying to keep their distance, wearing their mask all the time. The HVAC system seems to be functioning, you know, well. Cleaning and disinfection seems to be functioning well. Um, and I think a lot of families are, are, are heeding the advice to not send their kids home when they're sick. Most of the cases that I see... Lately, the, 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 the students are home when they find out they're sick. They find out that they're around a family member um, who tested positive. They stay home, so they are observing quarantine. They get tested. They find out they're sick. They report it to the school, but they haven't been in school. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Um, so that's the good thing. I mean, people are not sending their, their, their kids to school when they find out that they were around somebody with COVID-19. That's the best way to prevent any transmission mm. in schools is to never send the kids there when they find out they were around somebody in their social circle or family circle who had COVID-19. Stay home. That's, that's how quarantine works. If you stay home, then you're not going to get the opportunity to be in a place like school or to be in a, your workplace to spread it around to others. Um, so it seems to be working. But, yes, that, that new variant, you know, all we know is if something is, you know, transmission in schools is a rare event, okay? But when something is more transmissible, mm the rare event will just be less rare. Hmm. So given all the same circumstances and all the same mitigation strategies um, in place, the rare event will be less rare. And so if we start to see things happen in schools that we weren't seeing before, you know, transmission occurring more often, if we start to see clusters, you know, one person comes into school and and five classmates um, get sick, you know, we're going to have to make some tough decisions Mm -hmm. because that's the kind of thing we don't want to see, right? Right. Um, and, And so... We'll see how well our mitigation strategies work. We really have to double down on them. We really take everybody 
understanding their role in the chain of transmission. If you live with somebody or you're around somebody who find out had COVID-19, don't come to work or school. Observe quarantine, get tested, even if you feel well. Great. Great, uh, Russ. On the on the vaccines, uh, have you noticed? Uh, yeah, what, what's the status of the uh, the supply chain on the vaccines? Uh, it's poor, but improving. <laughs> okay. um, you know, the state of Connecticut. So, all, you know, the state of Connecticut gets around forty six thousand doses a week. Uh, half of that is Pfizer. Half of that is Moderna. Next week's uh, uh, allotment is going to be a little bit different. It's going to be more Pfizer, less Moderna. Unfortunately for us, at a local health department level, we can only handle the Moderna vaccine because it can be kept at normal freezing temperatures or even refrigerated. Um, the Pfizer vaccine has to be kept at minus, between minus 70, minus 90 degrees Celsius. We don't have that capacity in our health department, and most providers don't. So that really goes to the large hospital, uh, large hospital uh, systems. Um, so if you think about you know, just talking about Chatham Health District. So if there's 23,000 doses of Moderna vaccine, Chatham Health District is around 1.7% of the population of the state of Connecticut, okay? We have 63,000 people out of a population of 3.565 million. That's 1.7%. Our allocation just on a per capita basis of the Moderna vaccine would be 390 doses. And Chatham Health District, as a health department, doesn't get the entire allocation for our population, right? So what we're talking about is tiny numbers of doses of vaccine allocated for our entire population. You know, if, if you just want to think about Portland being roughly one-sixth, you know, of, of that, you know, one-sixth of 391 doses mm. is, is not a lot, right? It's, it's like 65 doses. Sure. So just, just on a population basis, I just want to break down the numbers. That's what we're getting. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not a lot. You know, right, right. Now, now, last night's clinic, um, uh, obviously th there were people from outside Chatham Health, uh, correct, that, that were able to come? Yeah, so anybody in, in VAMS, which is the Vaccine Administration Management System, that's the system that, that the state is, is using mostly for tracking doses and scheduling appointments. Um, once you're in that system, you can get appointments anywhere. It's just like our, our, our residents if they're in VAMS can go to, you know, UCFS in Norwich, or they can go to the Middletown Health Department's clinics, or they can go anywhere. So, too, can anybody in the state come to our clinics. Now, looking at the town of residents for the people who came to our clinic, most of them were local, um, and many were hyper-local. So many were from Chatham Health District or some from the surrounding town. So we didn't get people from far and wide, uh, we did get mostly people from the district um, and some from, you know, surrounding towns, Middletown, you know, Glastonbury and things like that. Um, but mostly they were, they were from the district. So it, that's good news that people are coming to our clinics from our district. But we have to think of this on a population level, right? Um, if, if we start, for example, hoarding vaccine for just our people and everybody else does the same, we sort of dismiss the idea that we're all interconnected. So I like the idea of VAM sort of being able to, open up appointments to everybody from wherever they are, um, because I wouldn't want to think that our residents would be restricted to clinics, you know, only in our area. If they want to go to a clinic across the river in Middletown, go. Right. If they work in a place like, let's say they work in Bristol, but they live in East Hampton, I wouldn't want to think that they can't go to a clinic, you know, that's near work because it's more convenient. So sure. if this pandemic has taught us one thing, it's how interconnected we all are. So getting people from all over for our clinics, I am totally fine with that. That's great. Yeah, can I jump in, into that too? And Russ, maybe just to get you to comment on, on one thing in, in terms of, of people waiting in line, right? The, the way I, at this point in the pandemic, 
I don't think I know anybody now who doesn't know somebody personally who it had or has COVID. I mean, I, I know dozens of people at this point who've had it. Fortunately, the the vast majority, 95% of those people had it and, and got sick for a little while and, and recovered, you know, are, are back at work and, and seem okay. And I, I do know a couple that are had some underlying conditions that are, are still struggling. But from, from what I'm hearing that the, the folks who largely are ending up getting very sick and in the hospital are, are older populations, are, are you know, 75 and older and 65 and older. And, and therefore, I, I, you know, Russ, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I think it would be important for us to prioritize those individuals so that our hospitals aren't inundated with sick people. So, you know, I think it's, it's important for us to wait in line and, and let the people who are at greater risk go first and, and be patient with this, right? Russ, would, I, would that be an accurate statement? Uh, I, I agree with that. There's two, there's two factors, I think, that, that went into the decision to prioritize older adults. Um, and you can have an ethical discussion about whether it's right to prioritize the people who are most likely to suffer the worst outcomes versus the prioritizing the people who are perpetuating the pandemic, principally younger working-age adults, mm -hmm. right? Those are the ones who are perpetuating the p pandemic, driving the case numbers, and making it more risky for everybody. But the people who are at highest risk, um, you know, they can stay home, yes, but they also are at highest risk for, for bad outcomes. So we can, you can have an ethical discussion about that. So that's one of those things that I think the tiebreaker ended up being, how do we protect our healthcare system? Mm. So if you remember back in March and April, we were maxed out in terms of our hospital uh, ICU beds. I mean, we were not in a good place. Um, and so the concern is, how do we protect that system? And I think that really was the tiebreaker. The way we protect that system is by uh, reducing the demand on that system by vaccinating the most vulnerable and the people who are most likely to end up hospitalized. And I know it's not what people really want to hear. Some people say, well, I'm more likely to get it because I have to work. And, and that is true. But I really do see that protecting our hospital capacity being one of those important factors. Yeah, and I, 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 the ethical, the bioethical discussions about this are, are I'm sure, ongoing and, and going to frame a lot of, you know, college classroom discussions in, in the future. But you know, for for me, you know, God forbid, I, I have a car accident going home tonight. I want there to be a hospital capacity to take care of me. So I, I, I see the wisdom in that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. For sure. Um, great, Russ. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for coming. Up. I know you got to go at, uh, you have a 930 meeting uh, and so forth, but uh, I don't know if you just want to touch base on uh, uh, last night. Uh, obviously, there's an app that uh, was on the cards uh, or on the uh, literature that you were handing out. I don't know if you want to just touch base on that uh, just uh, a little bit. Yeah. So um, VSafe, uh, we, we encourage everybody who gets a vaccine to enroll in VSafe. Um, it is uh, the way it will, you know, uh, check in with you if you've got a smartphone. It will send you text messages uh, every day for about a week and then weekly for, for a little while after that, asking you about any kind of um, side effects you might have had from the vaccine, how you're feeling. Um, we can think of the vaccine. It's important because this is the way we will start to understand on a much bigger level what the side effects are of the vaccine, if any, you know, who, who experiences those side effects to what degree. Um, because you can think of this rollout of the vaccine as something of a phase four clinical trial, right? Phase three clinical trials are done. They're evaluated by the FDA for safety and efficacy of the vaccine. 
um, they're done with tens of thousands of people, but the experience of 10 million people or 100 million people, you know, you might identify some more extremely rare, you know, adverse reactions, for example, when you give it to 10 million people that you didn't see in 40,000. So um, it's not meant to scare anybody. This happens with every single drug that, that is used. Every single one has this, like, phase four clinical trial aspect to it where um, the FDA wants to gather more information. Now we have to the technology. We can leverage the technology through smartphones and texting to gather that information. So V-Safe, everybody who gets a vaccine gets a V-Safe flyer. They can scan a QR code and enroll in V-Safe. It's very quick. You get these text messages, and you just answer a couple questions every day for about a week. Hmm. Um, it's, it really is great. I think it's better than what we, we've done in the past with other rollouts of vaccines and, and medications where the FDA said, here's the number to call, you know, if something happens, right, call this number. Well, you know, um, that didn't work that great. So I right. think leveraging technology enables us to understand who's having reactions and balance that against who isn't having reactions. You know, the old phone number style, it was call if something's going wrong. You only know about the people who had something go wrong. Right. <laughs> so, so now we can get information on everybody, which is, which is great. Great, great. Well, I appreciate it, Russ. All right. Uh, thanks so much, Russ. I'll uh, let you go to your 930 meeting and uh, go from there, and uh, we'll throw it back in Charles's court here and uh, go from there. But uh, thanks for coming on, Russ. I appreciate it. And uh, uh, Oops, I'm hanging up. Thanks, Russ. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Uh, he's, he's a busy guy. Yes, days. he is. My, my goodness. Yes, he is. Well, you know, while you're still here, Charles, I think uh, – uh, why, why don't you just give everybody up a date on uh, the CIAC, uh, uh, you know, uh, determinations and so forth? Yep. So, um, as everybody's likely aware, um, the all um, interscholastic and um, club, town club-based sports, youth leagues or whatever, um, were, were paused by um, executive order until January 19th. Um, the decision was made by the Department of Public Health that um, after January 19th, we could uh, phase in a return to winter sports um, with lots of conditions, lot, lots of, of mitigation uh, planning and, and things in place, right? So there are classifications of sports, um, and, and you know, they, they make sense. You know, there, there are sports like rugby and, and wrestling and um, competitive cheer and martial arts, where in an, an, a non-pandemic world, th th those involve certainly you're inside of six feet and, um, you know, likely to, <laughs> if you have a virus, spread it, right? I mean, right. They, they, you kind of just think of those sports conceptually and, and they're more dangerous than, say, golf or tennis, right? So for the winter sports, the high-risk sports of, of competitive cheerleading and, and wrestling, um, those aren't going to happen in a normal way. Conditioning, you know, uh, opportunities to work out are, are allowed, but you know, we're not we're not having a wrestling match this year. It's Correct. just not going to happen for I think for pretty obvious reasons. Um, lots of viruses could be ex exchanged on a wrestling mat. Um, other sports that are considered moderate risk in our case, that's basketball and indoor track. Again, we can we can return to those with mitigation strategies like wearing masks and, and sanitizing and, and as much as possible social distancing. So we're going to follow very closely uh, the recommendations from the Department of Public Health and move back in the direction of those sports starting this week and next week. Um, and 
from what I'm hearing is it's a shortened season, um, but we would be able to return to some competition um, on February 1st. Right Now, we're going to carefully monitor this. Our, our nurses, our coaches, our athletic coordinators are, are, are going to watch this carefully, and, and we, of, of course, will um, make sure that all of the mitigation strategies are comprehensively implemented. Um, but we're, we're going we're gonna to tiptoe our way back into a winter sports season. Great. I think the students will be uh, welcoming that. Of course. Yep. Yeah, as far as that goes. All that. Uh, yeah, that's that's great. Now, the, because this is, we're just finishing up the the first semester now. Second semester starts in... February 1st. February 1st. Okay, so two weeks. Right. About, right so, how's that? All right. Um, I think that about covers it, unless you have any other issues that you want to touch base on. And we'll... um, I, I, you know, I don't. I, I, there are lots of other things going on related to ongoing budget preparations and schedules and things oh, for yes. next year. So maybe our next podcast we can talk about things not related to COVID. Um, I, I'd love to come back to discussing, you know, teaching and learning and other great things that are happening. You know, COVID has certainly sucked a lot of the oxygen out of the conversations these days, but um, other great things are happening too. And, and maybe our next podcast we can talk yes. about things that aren't virus related yes that will, that will yes. be a welcome relief yes the, the budget season is upon us yeah. so to go from there all right dr charles Britton, thanks so much uh this is our uh episode number 10 of our portland school district podcast i'm your host uh dave kuzminski and uh with us today joining us on our podcast today was our chatham health director dr uh russ melman so uh until uh next time uh thanks so much and uh please as i always say uh Stay home, stay safe, wash your hands, and above all, wear your mask. So we'll see you soon. Thanks. This podcast was produced by the Town Tech Educational Partnership Program, which is a partnership between Portland High School and the Portland Town Hall. If you're looking to start a podcast for your business or organization, check out towntech.org forward slash podcast to learn more.